Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning on this 19th of May, uh, 2021. Anytime the name Darwin is in the news, pretty much for any reason, unless it's my friend Darwin Kenning from Victoria, Texas, and I don't know that his name's ever been in the news, but anytime the name Darwin is in the news for any reason, those operating from a biblical worldview are called forward to testify. That's my personal conviction this morning. And so When I read the headline this morning that the Galapagos rock formation, known as Darwin's Arch, had collapsed, Uh, actually a tour group witnessed the collapse of the rock, so those people uh, definitely have video on their phones that's going to be worth something. You you, actually, if you just let your uh, mind's eye wander here for just a moment, you can actually bring this... uh, this rock formation, this Galapagos archipelago formation into your mind's eye. Like, you've definitely seen it. It was originally a part of the small Darwin Island, um, which is one of the smallest islands in the Galapagos archipelago. And the uh, the arch, I mean, does look like an arch, or it did, until it collapsed. And so if you scroll to the end of the article, you learn that tour organizers are already, already, I mean, it's already been renamed. They're now referring to the remaining rock feature as the pillars of evolution. So it just it took literally, you know, seconds for it to go from Darwin's arch to the pillars of evolution. And um, here's the news, folks. Uh, those are eroding away as well. This is all a matter of erosion. And I don't want you to hear me suggesting that Darwin was wrong about everything. Uh, don't hear me denying science or scientific discovery or the pursuit of knowledge through science, uh, but do hear me contend for the reality of a creator God and his great and good and beautiful created order. Today's a good day to consider your theology and doctrine of creation. Do you believe God made it? Do you believe that the creation is subject to the consequences of sin and to the reality of, well, frankly, erosion? If you believe God made it, out of what motivation do you think he made it? Uh, We had a conversation with Bruce Ashford about um, his book, The Doctrine of Creation, back in November of 2020. If you want to go grab the podcast for that conversation, it might be worth revisiting. Um, I'll just make a couple of observations here. What stands forever is that upon which we should make our stand, not upon the eroding or shifting sands of the times in which we live or even, frankly, uh, the earth upon which we live. It brought to mind um, the old hymn, the old Isaac Watts hymn based on Psalm 90. Our God, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. Before the hills in order stood or earth received her frame, 
From everlasting thou art God to endless years the same. A thousand ages in thy sight are like an evening gone, short as the watch that ends the night before the rising sun. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. They fly forgotten as a dream, dies at the opening day. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be thou our guard while troubles last and our eternal home. Dr. Ellie Eisenberg is going to join me next from the Israel Biblical Study Center or the Israel Bible Center and Israel Institute for Biblical Studies, all of which you can find at IsraelBiblicalStudies.com. Ellie will be here when we come back. Joining me now, Dr. Ellie Eisenberg. Uh, he heads up the Israel Bible Center and the Israeli Institute for Biblical Studies. You can find what we're talking about today at IsraelBiblicalStudies.com. Dr. Eisenberg, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It's good to be with you. It's wonderful to have you. Um, thank you so much for joining us. We know there's a lot going on in your part of the world, and we are um, continuing to uh, to pray for all involved. I want to talk with you about what you guys have experienced um, at the Bible Center and at the Institute during COVID, because, you know, what I'm hearing is that your online enrollment has really soared. So talk about what you guys are offering um, and the level of people's interest in studying the Bible in its original languages. Sure. Um, well, Israel Institute of Biblical Studies essentially is a program that allows you to, from the comfort of your home, to study um, biblical language that includes uh, Koine, Judea, Greek, but our specialization, of course, is Hebrew, to study it from home and to be able to go under the text of translation to see what other translation options were there when the committee members were working on particular translation uh, your church may be using. Uh, Israel Bible Center is um, is sort of sort of a Netflix type of uh, collection uh, of great variety of crash courses and roundtable interviews uh, that highlight. Um, context and culture of the Bible. And, you know, the Jewish context culture of the Bible is not the only context and culture of the Bible. So um, all of that uh, is uh, is put together by top level, uh, top university professors uh, in the world. And then uh, and then uh, we communicate it in a in a street language, essentially, that anyone can basically understand. So let's um, let's use an example here. What might be something that I would be reading in an English translation that I might discover has a lot of options um, underneath that if I were to study it in Hebrew? All right. Well, uh, again, this applies to both languages, to uh, both of the two main languages of the Bible, you know, Hebrew and Greek. Uh, for example, in Hebrew, we can um, uh, we can think of the famous uh, Genesis 12 text. Those who you bless, I will bless. And those who you will curse, I will curse. Uh, 
And um, I w there, there are some things to highlight there with regard blessing, but I think the most powerful one is actually in the part of the curse. Because in English, at least, when we read, uh, those who curse you, I will curse, it's a reciprocal action. You will do this bad thing, I will do this bad thing to, to you. But not in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it says, uh, those whom you will, um, and literally translated, those whom you will treat lightly, I will, and then the second word for that is translated as a curse in English for some reason, is better be translated as far more uh, heavy, uh, heavy of a word such as utterly destroy. So if we, if we pay attention to uh, different, two completely different words uh, in Hebrew, in the biblical, in the Bible, in the original Bible, we will see that the 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 warning and the promise is so much more powerful. Uh, I whoever you will, if you treat the children of Abraham lightly, God says, I will utterly destroy you. That's not what we're getting from translation. That's example from Hebrew. Example from Greek, um, famous Romans eleven, um, olive tree olive tree of God's people, uh, the ancient um, uh, people of, uh, of God that are not believing are considered to be the, uh, the uh, original branches that didn't believe, right? And it says that the, in most of our translations, it says that they were cut off because of their unbelief. But when you actually look at the Greek uh, of the behind the translation, and if you're not guided by a particular ideology, theologically speaking, then you will see that there is actually at least three ways to translate this. You can translate it as broken off. You can translate it as broken. And you mm. can translate it even, and some people will hate me for this, but that's what it says, bend. Now, there is a hum, hum, there's a world of difference, right, between broken off, that signifies totality of rejection, and broken. You don't even need to go to the, bro, to the band. You could just stay, stick with the broken. So a lot, a lot of times, the, pr, the kind of problems with, that we have with Apostle Paul, also regarding his uh, supposed treatment of women, for example, is a problem not so much with the Paul himself, but one, with the translation, and two, with uh, our interpretation of what we think Paul said. So those are the kind of examples. Um, I know they're a bit provocative, but, uh, you know, you asked me for a few examples. Oh, no, and that's the point. Um, I, I really genuinely appreciate that. We we have conversations here from time to time where um, you know, listeners will engage and be critical because I have, you know, I have chosen to highlight a particular translation. It's not the one they're using in their local congregation. It's not the one they're using in their devotional study. Um, and I, you know, and I'm drawing a distinction between translations and paraphrases of scripture. Um, and then, you know, certainly encouraging people to study the Bible in uh, in the languages in which it is given to us, because I think the closer we can get to to the original context and the original conversation, the better chance we have of really understanding what God has said. And if we believe Absolutely. the Bible is Absolutely. the very Word of God, wouldn't yeah. we want to understand it 
as completely and fully so, as possible. And, and you know the kind of nuance that you that you're going to just that anyone studying, uh, and even not really getting very far, but getting a little bit ahead, is going to receive from being able to actually uh, read with the help of dictionary, with the help of interlinear. You don't really need to become a, 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 a scholar and a scholar of biblical Hebrew to get a lot of insight. It's it's the it's I would compare it to a low hanging fruit. If you learn the alphabet, you take a course that basically teaches you to to read and pronounce and use the tools. Oh my gosh, there's so much that you can pick up. Uh, you know, a small example: um, the word. Uh, the word for image, like image of God, it, one of the words is tselem. Now, tselem, uh, as everything in the biblical Hebrew, connects with other words that seem to have no connection to, to that word through a root. So tsel is another word in Hebrew. It means a shadow. So you could see tselem, an image, and tsel, a shadow. And um, uh, we can then see why the man who was put in charge of the tabernacle construction, Bezalel, Bezalel, is called literally someone in the shadow of God. Mm. You know, it's beauty. It's beautiful because what it does, see, the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread, and that mm. that really includes. He, uh, honoring translators, because tra translators, the men and women of God over the many ages that have given their lives, uh, and yes, sometimes lives, to the enterprise of translation and its publishing is amazing. However, even they will tell you that there were times when we had to decide. And there, there are other examples as well. So, for example... Okay, we have to pause... Uh, sure. Dr. Eisenberg, you and I have to pause and take a very, very brief break, but we're going to continue this oh. delightful conversation in just a moment. We'll be right back. Dr. Ellie Eisenberg from the Israel Bible Center and the Israeli Institute for Biblical Studies. You can find them at IsraelBiblicalStudies.com. Great place for you to enroll online in um, in studying a biblical language directly, or um, great courses there as well on um, on Israeli culture, why it's important for Christians to uh, to understand the context and the culture of the conversations that take place uh, in the Bible. Uh, Dr. Eisenberg, you were about to give us another illustration and example um, of why it's important to reread the Bible, honoring translators, but also digging into the original languages ourselves? Well, uh, you know, I was thinking uh, while we were in the break that I'll give you a couple more words just to whet your appetite uh, that would that would make that would push someone and really justify for them to to invest in something like this. For example, the word uh, the, the word for there's two words in Hebrew, rechem which means um, a, a uterus, essentially, and rachamim, a womb, uh, rechem, a womb, and rachamim, which means mercy. So, so in Hebrew, the womb, the womb is rechem, but mercy is rechem in plural. 
you see mm. so and and you know for a woman to 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 be able to bring a child into the world it's it's a mercy of god uh look at uh, even the word rainbow uh even in english we have a little bit of that there is a word bow in there uh in hebrew rainbow is actually bow that's what it's called Keshet. And so in the book of Genesis, when we see rainbow being hanged up um, as a sign of God's unwillingness to punish the world with the same kind of flood anymore, what, what does it mean? Well, the, the rainbow is really not a rainbow. It's a bow of war. And God hangs it up on the wall, so to speak, for everyone to see. But it is not pointing down to earth. It is pointing up. These are the kind of things, maybe the word Zion that most people say, and but don't know that it basically in Hebrew, Zion, it means the marked place. The place that God has marked for some kind of special um, for some kind of special purpose. So those are the kind of examples. I could give examples from Jewish context and culture and New Testament. Would you like to hear a few? Absolutely. Yeah? Okay, so uh, so uh, one example. Uh, Jesus is uh, speaking is speaking with um, Jesus is speaking with a man whom he is calling to follow him. And the man says to him, um, Lord, I would, I would really go and preach the gospel with you. And of course, it's a bit problematic because Jesus didn't die yet. So we need to understand what would, would what would have been the gospel back then. But that's a different sort of different lecture and different interview. But uh, so, so Jesus is saying to, just saying to, saying to him, come preach the gospel with me. Uh, the man says, I would, I really would, but you need to let me bury my father first. And so Jesus is saying, let the dead bury the dead, and you come and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, in the traditional interpretation, traditional Christian interpretation, um, the dead are the people that are interested in physical things, such as burials and work and building houses and whatnot. And the spiritual people are the people that are uh, doing uh, some kind of like evangelistic work, for example, or some kind of spiritual work. Now, that's a very bad dynamic. It's totally non-scriptural. It has nothing to do with the ancient world. So what possibly was going on there? Uh, and I am suggesting that there is a much better reconstruction of this, the, this same um, event. You see, in the ancient times, many, many Jews, and not only Jews, by the way, buried people twice. First, when someone is deceased, the, a body would have been placed in a cave, just like in the case of Lazarus, the same in the case of Jesus, right? Now, then, uh, now it's not the uh, anybody that would do that. Special people trained, special Jewish people that are trained in how to do this will actually do the burial. And then after a year or two or even longer, when the body is disintegr disintegrates completely and only bones are left, the bones are collected by those very people who are trained. They will go in and they would relocate them into a special box that today we call ashwari, even in English, and it's in other cultures as well. That box with special bone, with the bones that are now relocated and are free of tissue, will then be placed in, in a wall, and that's 
the final burial. So most to imagine that the son of God, wh whose father and who was there at the very beginning and very creation of the world, who gave the Ten Commandments to God's people, who said, honor your father and mother, mother father and mother, would say um, to disregard the father's funeral is complete nonsense. And so what most likely was happening is that the, the man's father died long time ago. But he was saying to Jesus, Jesus, let me wait out until the whole process of the burial is, 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 is finished. And that is when Jesus had said to him, let the dead bury the dead. Now, of course, Jesus didn't say that because that's an English translation. And the conversation actually between them would have taken place or in Aramaic or in Hebrew, although all of them actually spoke Greek as well. And so what was what, what's happening what's happening there is is that he, uh, the man is using this as an excuse to delay his following Jesus but Jesus is telling him no wait now my back my uh, hypothesis here is just like today there is a word in Hebrew that's called uh, that's called uh, um, uh, a kavran, a graver, someone who actually does the job of burial. I'm thinking that it's very likely that back then in Hebrew or Aramaic, it was the same thing. So probably when it was written down, yes, by Jews, but it was written down in Greek, the word that was selected, because everybody knew that word, actually referred to people dealing with dead people. And not dead people mm. themselves. Yeah, let the let so, the graver yeah. let the graver dairy the, yeah, bury the let dead. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Why making excuses? It's so simple. There's nothing complicated here. Okay, I hope that everyone listening right now is as delighted as I am and thinking to themselves, oh, I want more of this. I want to understand more of this. Um, in which case, we're going to invite you to um, visit Dr. Eisenberg and others at the Israel Biblical Studies website. So I'm just going to refer to it that way, IsraelBiblicalStudies.com. There you can find the Israel Bible Center, the Israeli Institute for Biblical Studies. Uh, and you can take courses online um, in the original languages and learn the kinds of things that uh, Dr. Eisenberg had shared with us this morning. Thank you so much. What a delight. What a delight. It's my privilege. Take care. Uh, thank you so much. All right, we'll be right back. All right, I appreciate those of you geeking out with me um, and totally being jazzed about the conversation with, uh, with Dr. Eisenberg. Ruth Kramer is up next from Mission Network News. We're going to catch up on everything going on. Well, not everything going on around the world. She and I are going to catch up on several things going on around the world and how our Christian brothers and sisters are faring in the midst of uh, a number of crises. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. What do you think your teens wish that you knew? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I live at a residential counseling center in East Texas, and being surrounded by more than 50 teens gives some great opportunities for conversation. I once asked the kids what they wish their parents knew. One student said, no matter how deep a hole I get into, I didn't want my parents to leave me. Another student said, I wish they knew that their definition of abnormal was my definition of normal. And one more, a teenage boy said to me, just because I don't talk, 
doesn't mean I don't want to. It's just that I don't know what to say. Maybe it's time you ask your teen that question. What do you wish your parents knew? Find more parenting help from Mark Gregston at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Joining me now, one of our great friends, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Um, welcome back. Welcome back, Ruth. Thanks. And Good. have a cup of coffee on me. Yeah, thank you. I love that. So um, let's talk about the International Day for the Unreached. I have it marked on my calendar as May 23. Yeah. Well, the International Day for the Unreached is uh, typically observed on Pentecost Sunday because that is the day where the Holy Spirit um, resourced the church to be the church. And this is what we're really trying to focus on with the whole cause of the unreached. I mean, these are um, the people who have been denied access to the gospel. I mean, the idea that in this day and age where you have Bibles going into every country in the world, that you would have three billion people who are going uh, unreached still is kind of a mind-boggling thing. Um, we're, we're, we're calling that um, a third of us because that mm. is a third of the world's, world's population that has been denied access to the gospel. And, and what we're breaking that down to on a daily basis is 70,000 people going into a Christless eternity every day. And the big question there is, are we okay with that? Mm. You know, when you ask it that way, like, am I okay that a third of us are going into a Christless eternity? Um, I'm not okay with that. But the three billion makes me feel less responsible than the one. Am I okay that this one who I who I can bring to mind, whose name I can know, whose circumstance of, of life I can understand? Talk with us about the kinds of ways we can come to know um, unreached people groups and how the International Day for the Unreached sort of broadens our not only the scope of our awareness of the need, the three billion, a third of us, but also takes us deep into the stories of individuals. Well, uh, what we're going to call it is IDU, because it's just easier to say than International Mm -hmm. Day for the Unreached. Um, But it is the starting point of getting to uh, embrace the cause of the unreached. Um, It's a rally cry for that. And uh, we're we're inviting people to join us on the uh, on the a third of us uh, Facebook page uh, on Pentecost Sunday at 111. 111 looks like the a third of us because we're going to be offering some ways to be praying. We're going to have some uh, live prayer events to help people begin to understand a little bit more about the cause of the unreached, where they are, why they remain unreached in this day and age. Um, you know, and, and just kind of remembering that they're, they're unreached because they have no Bible, no church, and no known believers. And, and they are the ends of the earth. We are commanded to take the gospel into the ends of the earth, and this is what we're trying to raise awareness about. Um, so one of the simple things that we can do, I mean, we've had um, 
influencers get on board with this, just to let people know that we are going to be hosting a little bit more on on uh, Pentecost Sunday, and we're inviting people to join us in prayer. Uh, Francis Chan and David Platt both getting on board with that. One mm. of the easy steps is to draw the symbol on your hand, understanding that we're talking about the unreached. A third of us is, uh, a, we've kind of developed a tribe mark for this, um, because it's a talking point. So it's one line, and then two lines mm. that are a little bit closer together. So it looks like if you were going to do it like 111 or something like that, it has that one line that represents the third of us still denied access to scriptures and then the rest of us in the world that still have the ability to do something about it. Um, and that you share it on your social media and then it opens up talking points and start talking about the cause of the unreached. The other thing is at the website, a third of us.com. There are resources available. So if you really want to get to into it a little bit deeper to understand who the unreached are and what you can do about it and how you can be praying, which is underlying the whole movement here, uh, there's a lot of information there. There's the Great Commission Action Guide. And I want to encourage people also to sign up for the 111 Prayer Challenge because uh, for the next 33 days, you'll get a, an email prompt that will remind you about a an unknown uh, and unreached people group. And uh, we're encouraging people to set their timers for 111, any time zone, um, and take a moment to pray about the unreached. And then ask God to open your heart and burden you for something specific and then wait to see what he's going to do. All right. For those of you that are looking for it, if you go to facebook.com, it is a third of us. So if you do the little at symbol and then a third, spell the word out, of us, a third of us. And for those of you that are asking again what the symbol looks like, it looks like the number, it looks like 111 in terms of like the time stamp of something, you know, 1, 1 p.m., 11 after 1 p.m., but take the colon out. So it's one and then a space and then uh, 11 or two more ones. So it mm -hmm. looks like 111, but there's a separation where a colon might appear, which is also why, you know, it's an inspired thought for us to set aside a minute at 111 every day um, to consider this, to think about it, to pray about it. So um, a third of us is where the community is gathering online. Ruth, can they also find um, resources for this in other places? Yeah, well, a third of us dot com is the website, oh, and you'll be able to find all of this information there. Uh, the place to sign up for the one eleven prayer challenges is a third of us dot com slash idu. It'll be at the bottom of the page, and you can just sign up for it there. Um, and I really encourage folks to get involved with that because action begins with awareness. Amen. Um, Ruth, let's take a very very brief break, and we come back. I'd love for you to um, bring us up to date on what's going on in Lebanon. Does that sure. sound good? All right. Yep. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation now with Ruth Kramer, you can find what we're talking about right now at missionnews.org. Um, Ruth, bring us up to date on what's happening in Lebanon. Wow. Well, you know, just when we thought uh, it couldn't get any worse in Lebanon, it looks like it's going to get a little bit more complicated. So you you, you and I have spoken before about the economic crisis uh, kind of compounding everything else and then the lack of a, a, a functioning government uh, adding more to the trouble. Now we're hearing that because of the um, economic crisis that power cuts are going to be in, added to the mix. Lebanon is used to um, having 
I guess, unstable power um, because it's just they have rolling blackouts at just different points and, and things like that. They they understand that. But because of the debt that the country has uh, to Turkey, um, Turkey's providing electricity to Lebanon from a couple of barges. Turkey's now saying they're going to shut down supplies because Turkey because Lebanon's so far uh, behind on their bills. Um, that is about a quarter of Lebanon's power supply. So mm. already this week, uh, the power plants uh, in Lebanon were basically saying, we don't have the money to run anymore. Um, we are going to have to institute power cuts in order to make what we have last. Um, this was something that they were warning about a couple of months ago, and they found the government found a way to sort of do a bridge loan in order to keep uh, the power going. Because Lebanon, if you think about this, Lebanon's a developed country. Um, they have, uh, you know, all the access to power, all the needs for power that we would have in the United States. So imagine your hometown not having power. What would that do? You've got hospitals that are dependent on that. You have all the businesses that are involved uh, online. Uh, you have just the basic kind of things that um, that people have a need for power for in their homes. Uh, and that'll be all taken away when the power goes off. And that's one of the issues that uh, that ministries are facing. We've been talking to um, Horizons International and Triumph and Mercy Lebanon uh, about the effect of these power cuts on their ministries. Um, for the most part, it makes things very, very complicated. Uh, their greater concern, though, right now is how they're getting resources to the folks that they're helping, the majority of whom are living in the refugee camps. Um, it, the, the complications of COVID have been, uh, well, I guess, you know, crazy making because it, it, they, they're trying so hard to meet needs for people who can't get out of the camps, who uh, really basically have no safety net and are going to just starve to death if somebody doesn't help them. Um, and then you have the other side of that com uh, complicating it with the the fall of the currency, which is now about 10% of what it used to be worth before the, the crisis hit. Um, it, it means that U.S. donations, U.S. dollars go a lot further right now in assisting ministries to be the hands and feet of Christ to the people that they're helping. But then that means that the people that are Lebanese are also really struggling. So a couple of things that we just wanted to, to make note of here with the complication of the power cuts and things, uh, pray for the leadership of these ministries in Lebanon. They are exhausted. They've been working at uh, emergency crisis levels for probably six years now, and they're just kind of running out of steam. Um, continue to pray for their health because COVID-19 is still a huge problem. Um, the uh, Triumph at Mercy Lebanon staff, almost everybody has had it and recovered from it, uh, but it takes out a lot of... Um, the logistics uh, with both people being out and being sick. Um, continue to pray for wisdom as they try to budget. Uh, the, they don't work with Lebanese currency very often with these ministry partners um, because you can't depend on one thing to be stable throughout the day. So if you have X number of dollars or X number of lira that you're trying to make stretch to buy um, milk and bread, that will go probably a third less far by the evening. And that's just the, the fall and the normal rise and fall of the inflation rate in that country. So they need wisdom on how to deal with this and how to make that money go as far as it needs to and always be looking and they're always looking for gospel opportunities. So be praying that they will have the words ready when people ask them why they're doing this.
Ruth, as we survey what's happening um, around the rest of the globe, and again, I'm so thankful for for the variety of stories that um, that you post at missionnews.org. Um, I'm wondering if if we could talk about um, the the coverage related to the 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 shooting at the school in Russia. It's not a story that we've covered here. Um, with anyone else, and I'm just wondering if um, if, if you could give us uh, a view into that story. Sure. Um, school attacks in Russia are pretty rare. Uh, there are two of note that uh, that Russia has long memory of. One was in 2004 with the attack in Beslan, and one was in 2018 where a teenager killed 20 people. This one took place last week, and there's no apparent motive. The The suspect is in custody. He used to be a member. He used to be a, a student at the school. Um, this is something that has really shaken the country because of who he attacked. Uh, he went back in and he killed uh, a number of people. There are 20 people who are in the hospital. At this stage, you've got seven children who have died and two adults. Um, and, and so Russia is really struggling with this. This is taking place in uh, the Russian city of Kazan, which is east of Moscow. And uh, our, our partner, Slavic Gospel Association, reached out to their member churches in that area and asked them basically, how can we be praying? And their church said um, that they, had, they know people in the community who have been closely connected to victims or have been directly impacted by this attack. Obviously, people are rattled. Um, there are a lot of uh, soul-searching questions that are coming out right now. So the body of Christ is mobilizing to help. Um, they're reaching out to the families, trying to provide counsel and resources, you know, offering a cup of cold water in this time of need. Mm-hmm. Um, SGA is responding immediately. Be praying as they provide some physical aid and also the spiritual needs, uh, the spiritual aid at this time, because this is a, this is something that doesn't happen very often in their country, and it's really just rattled um, where people are right now. Um, we're going to have uh, opportunity later this week to uh, to talk with Sam Brownback about the International Religious Freedom um, Report. If you could talk to him, what would you ask? Boy, there's a lot of things I would ask. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because there's it's it there's so many things that have to come as a result of the International Religious Freedom Report. Um, mm-hmm. You know how severe are the the responses going to be from the State Department and things like that. One of our uh, connected partners has been mentioned in this report, Voice of the Martyrs Korea, because of the issues that have arisen as they try to do ministry. Um, they're, they're in South Korea trying to do ministry into North Korea. And the way that they've been doing that through dropping um, scripture portions by uh, balloon and by rice bottle um, has caused a lot of conflict be- at the border. Um, so VOM Korea has been I guess, uh, not marginalized, but they've been, the the government's cracked down on them in South Korea, trying to keep the peace with North Korea. And so that is why VOM Korea has been mentioned in the International Religious Freedom Report, because they're talking about religious freedom issues. Both countries claim that they have religious freedom. Um, Obviously, we know that's a little bit not the way it is. Uh, it's a game of semantics mm-hmm. there. Um, continue to pray for VOM Korea, though, because the the director there is is basically being threatened with arrest. Um, he's he the, the South Korean government wants him to be quiet. 
And he says, that's not what I'm going to do because people need Jesus. We're hearing from an underground body of Christ in North Korea that they need scripture. So just be praying for this team as they continue on. Um, they're trying to be respectful, but sometimes given what's happening, they have to just do the thing that they are commanded to do with vision and mission in getting the the hope of Jesus Christ into people's hands. Um, and that means sometimes they're going to be breaking the law. Ruth, as always, um, thank you so much for such a comprehensive look at what's happening um, with our Christian brothers and sisters around the world and the array of needs that Christians are on the front lines of responding to in so many places um, and the Christians living in the midst of those circumstances as they seek to advance the gospel. So as always, uh, Ruth, thank you so much for what you do every day. You guys can find what we talked about today and so much more at missionnews.org. Thanks, Ruth. Thank you. We'll be right back. This is amazing grace. This is um, how's your swimming as we head into the summer months? Um, it's a good time to, you know, jump in the pool. Um, the reason that I bring this up, 8,000 people, 8,000 people swam or kind of walk swam because it was low tide. But they swam from Moroccan territory um, into uh, into Europe. Um, so when we think about what's happening at the U.S. southern border and we think about the, um, the migrant challenge uh, at the U.S. southern border, the migrant flow into Spain – um, and to, into other parts of Europe um, is still massive. So an estimated 8,000 migrants swam or walked at low tide um, earlier this week into the Spanish uh, enclave of Cueto or Cueta. Uh, and so I just want you to be considering, like, what is the Christian response to the massive um, flows, human flows of people around the globe? Um, when we talk about uh, what's happening in Lebanon and we talk about the refugee crisis there from the Syrian civil war, when we talk about people from um, Africa flowing across uh, the northern border there into Europe, uh, and when we talk about Central America and the flow of people from Central America and through Central America um, into the United States, I just want you to just consider, like, what's the legitimate Christian thought process related to that? Don't don't think politically first. Think Christianly first. And what do you come up with? I think it's a conversation that we need to be having, and we certainly need to be equipped to have, um, not only in this day, but in the days that are uh, now ahead of us. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Bill English will be here. We're going to survey some of the business news of the day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.